Ooh-wee, here we are back on another one, uh, back from vacation. As you can kind of see, like I got the typical white guy, bad suntan thing going on. Um, didn't manage to get too nuked, which is good, but uh, here we are. Um, it is 12-21-2022, 1 p.m., 1300 for you military types. I'm going to move quick like I usually try and do. I may go slightly longer than 30 minutes, so apologize in advance if that happens, but was gone for a little bit and I got some stuff to cover. Uh, that being said, um, let's jump into the usual thing of finding fun stuff that is misconfigured and exposed on the internet and, uh, you know, poking the bear a bit, you could say. Okay, uh, default passwords. That's something that everybody everywhere should basically be able to eliminate and, you know, solve that problem pretty simply. Um, and there's a lot of questions and a lot of issues going on around uh, school, like, you know, local school type security. So my question was, how hard would it be to find misconfigured with default password things related to a school district currently operating on the internet? Um, I actually timed this one. Uh, the total time was about uh, 13 minutes. So uh, if you are in New York uh, and you do anything with the Nassau County Board of Cooperative Education Services. Um, they have exposed servers talking to the internet. I'm guessing your tax dollars pay for this stuff. I don't know. Um, but it is got admin things and it is default credential, default passwords. Uh, Westbury, Lawrence, and Merrick cities are what I'm talking about there. I don't know anything about New York. Been in New York City a couple times, but this is uh, an interesting one. So if you know those folks, and I'll notify them because I always do, um, they should go fix this. It's a school district. It's it's a problem. Kids go there. <sighs> yeah. Um, following down into that just a little bit, let's go look at some other interesting misconfigurations. Um, everybody seems to kind of forget about uh, how valuable the information is that is related to printers. Now, if you've ever... If you've ever used a printer, which I would say most of us that have never lived under a rock probably have used a printer, the new printers um, have got interesting things that do wireless whatever and they connect all these servers and da da da. They're very useful, but there's a back end to that. There's default creds, there's misconfiguration issues, et cetera, et cetera. I can tell you from Googling, the most common uh, pen codes for those is one, two, three, four, or four zeros. The most common access creds are admin, admin. So my thinking was, well, how many printers could I find that were connecting to something where there was a misconfiguration going on that could potentially allow a compromise to occur? Now, as always, this doesn't mean that it's immediately pwnable. It just means that the possibility is there. Everybody in this space talks about risk, but I find these things continually that are totally jacked up and then no one wants to talk about risk anymore. What do printers have access to? The network. What is on the network? things that you wouldn't want leaking out. What is stored inside of memory on those super cool, amazing new printers that you have? Files and things that you probably wouldn't want leaking to the internet. So again, going down the rabbit hole, and this one took me a total of 18 minutes, um, <clears throat> there's a particular type of uh, printer. Uh, this one's from uh, HP. Uh, and what's really interesting is when you go look through the configuration side of it, and think about well where the misconfigurations are and what it's doing. It's almost exclusively 
all education related stuff. Most of it is universities. Um, I see everything in here from Harvard, University of Missouri, uh, which this one actually talks to a uh, database. Um, why not? Let's just go one level deeper on there because I can. Uh, Carnegie Mellon, I see some stuff from you guys. Uh, Washington University, um, you name it. All, I would honestly say within this particular query, I don't see a notable university in the United States that does not have a misconfigured sort of printer thing going on somewhere. So check that out and fix it. Um, like I said, the University of Missouri one that I was finding here, this one actually connects to database. So somebody's printing stuff off of probably some database that is used for an academic research project or whatever else. And, you know, you can get things from there. HP, LaserJet, there's the IP address. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, there's also a lot of conversation that goes on around um, how do other uh, countries steal our intellectual property, whatever else. Well, where's a lot of our really cool intellectual property created? Where's the innovation for this country supposedly taking place? A lot of it happens at universities. Well, if I can get to the printers where people are printing off their research projects and formulas and all the other cool stuff at universities, what sort of intellectual property can I take? And I'm a dude sitting at home that just came back from chilling out in Belize for a little, a little bit. What could a nation state do with that type of access? So again, these are things that should be fixed. These are things that should be remediated. If you're sending your kid to these schools, you should probably ask the question about, are they you know, actively taking care of uh, their security protocols and things that need to be in place? Uh, I'm gonna go back into this one more thing in just a minute, but uh, there's a little bit of hypocrisy, which is a shocker in this thing. Um, I, wanna, I wanna cover this too. So. There's an article in uh, the record, uh, which does amazing stuff, Recorded Future, FDA pushing for medical device cybersecurity funding and regulations. Now, I'll get into that article in a second, but if an organization is publishing requirements and directives and looking for funding for cybersecurity, wouldn't it make sense that they are as buttoned up as they could possibly be? Like, it shouldn't be easy to find overt issues with that particular organization. So in this case, it's the FDA. So my question becomes, well, of the FDA, what's out there that could possibly be, uh, you know, tickle the electrons? Interestingly enough, you do a little bit of looking. Um, there are seven things with the FDA that are looking like it. Parklawn, one of them is the AWS related, so that's not good. Parklawn looks like it's related to a headquarters, which is also not good. And we're talking about SSL stuff. Uh, we are talking about port 25 um, and a couple of other non-standard ports. And anytime you see non-standard ports, um, that's an indicator that there's probably something worth going after behind those non-standard ports. 8443, those things, okay, whatever. You start seeing weird port numbers. Uh, you kind of go, hmm, I wonder what's there. And the fact that those weird numbers are vomiting back responses to open web queries is not a good deal. So FDA, go fix your shit. Now let's read through this FDA piece here. Um, FDA is pushing Congress to provide more funding and support for efforts to address cybersecurity protections for medical devices. Okay, good. The rise in devices used by healthcare facilities over the last decade 
uh, has led to a corresponding increase in the number of vulnerabilities found affecting everything from infusion pumps. Um, duh, 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 prime targets for hackers. FBI specifically cited vulnerabilities found in insulin pumps. If you were at Black Hat years ago, this was a demo. Uh, defibrillators, cardiac telemetry, pacemakers, intrathecal pain pumps. Malicious uh, hackers could take over the devices, change readings, administer drug overdoses, da 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 this is not new. This has been around for quite a while. Um, but here's the thing is that the FDA is saying we need to start pushing some more funding into this space. Now, how much funding have they already got? It's pretty substantial. Uh, they asked, say, we hope that Congress is able to reach agreement with other important policy providers as part of the final year in package. The FDA spokesperson added the agency is hopeful that its request of $5 million for a medical device security program is approved as part of FY23 appropriations legislation. Um, Five million in the context of what the government does with their, uh, you know, money things is that ain't even jump change. Like that's lint in your pocket. So I would hope that they're able to get funding for that. However, if you're going to be an organization that's asking for funding and is aligning you know, critical resources and those types, you should really make sure that you're as bolted up as you could possibly be. Like having headquarter related servers that are talking to the internet on non-standard ports, that's not a good look. So, you know, be aware of that. If you're not aware, um, Okta, and this is as of uh, the 21st, which is today, actually, Okta source code stolen in GitHub hack. Um, not been a good year for Okta. This was published by Tom Allen on uh, computing.co UK. There's also an article on bleeping computer. Security provider Okta has been breached with attackers apparently stealing the company's source code. Source code theft is no joke, of course, especially when it comes to security products. Mm -hmm. Okta is a prominent provider of authentication services. And while user data is probably more valuable by itself, I don't know that I would agree with that. Criminals could use Okta source code to find hidden vulnerabilities and launch further attacks. Uh, the company says hackers breached its GitHub repositories earlier this month. According to a confidential, quote, notification, the company is emailed to its, quote, security contacts. Bleeping Computer uh, confirmed the, the notification was genuine. David Bradbury, Octa's chief security officer, said in the message that no customer data was affected. So mark it down. Today's the 21st at 1.10, 13.10 p.m. David Bradbury, the CISO, said that no customer data was affected. So typically call it. I don't know, three to seven days, you get the next thing of, oh shit, we were kind of wrong. It's really this giant database or whatever. Um, if you want to take bets, um, I would say that the fact that this has happened is substantial and you will see some sort of data, something or another. Now, further on to that, Okta does not rely on the confidentiality of its source code for the security of its services. That one's a bit confusing because, I mean, yeah, you're publishing source code, but what is running all the things that your product does. It's got to be code, I would think. I mean, I'm not a programmer, but I'm, I'm familiar with code. Um, how do you run stuff without source code? Or how is your source code not viable in that context? Uh, so Bradbury ended by highlighting Okta's commitment to transparency. Okay, good, great. The company is due to publish a statement later today, so sometime on the 21st. Okay. Uh, so let's see. Um, this is the actual email. This is bleeping computer to security contacts. I would like to share contacts and details around a recent security event. Please note, we have confirmed, again, note today's date, 
no unauthorized access to the Okta service and no unauthorized access to customer data. Uh-huh. There's no impact any customers, including HIPAA, FedRAMP, or DOD customers. No customer actions required and the Okta service remains fully operational and secure. In early December 2022, GitHub alerted Okta about possible suspicious access. Note the, the word there, access. Um, uh, to code repositories. Upon investigation, we have concluded that such access was used to copy Okta code repositories. I mean, even if you can't like get to something with that source code, could you not take said source code and use it to build um, other similar instances and use it for phishing and whatever else, like valid sort of verified, validated Okta services that are bogus in nature? Like that would be something I would think is very possible. Um, as soon as Okta learned of the possible suspicious access, we promptly placed all temporary restrictions on the GitHub repos and suspended all GitHub integrations with third-party applications. We have since reviewed all recent access to Okta software repositories hosted by GitHub to understand the scope of the exposure, reviewed all recent commits to Octus and to validate the integrity of our code and rotated our credentials. So this is a company that does credential stuff and they are rotating their creds now after a breach. Um, we'll stable that for later. We've also notified law enforcement. Uh, we have taken steps to ensure the code cannot be used to access company or customer environments. Okta does not anticipate any disruption to our business or ability. Okay. Note the security event pertains to Okta workforce identity cloud code repositories does not pertain to any auth zero or auth whatever you want to call it, customer identity cloud products. Um, hmm. Interesting. Uh, so Okta's had some issues, but if you're an Okta customer or you're, you know, relying on Okta services or that type of thing, be aware that they've had that issue. I, I, I can't quite understand the positioning here. Like if your source code gets breached, that's a pretty significant event, um, especially if it's a source code for a cloud related product or products, because that's something that's at scale. Um, and that they're saying that there's no risk or threat or anything else compromised. I, I'm just not sure there. Um, it, it doesn't give me the warm and fuzzies. If I was an Okta customer, I'd be um, running around like a chicken with my head cut off, to be perfectly honest. I applaud them for being open and honest and reacting to this and those things. Great. But there's some there's some stuff in this that kind of stands out to me. Uh, I don't know what everybody else thinks, but that's kind of what I think. Anyway, um, okay. There's another paper here that was published on securityintelligence.com. Uh, four most common cyber attack patterns from 2022. This was by Mark Stone. As 2022 comes to an end, cybersecurity teams globally are taking the opportunity to reflect on the past 12 months. It's been a challenging year for security teams, and this article will round up some of the most common cyber attacks. Number one, ransomware. Okay. Uh, the first half of the year saw a surge of ransomware attacks, but then subsided in Q3 and continued to slow down. Still, the percentage of breaches caused by ransomware, 41% growth year over year. Identification and remediation of a breach took 49 days longer than the average breach. Um, yeah. Uh, another series of nowhere attacks, Costa Rica, uh, national emergency was declared there. Okay, so ransomware is one. I think anybody is aware of that. Email compromise. Compromised emails can seem like a frustratingly basic and simple way for attackers to operate your company, but perhaps because of that simplicity, this remains a very common effective pattern in 2022. 
After a downturn in this type of attack in 2020-21, email cyber attacks increased 48% in the first half of 2022 with reports 11,395 incidents costing businesses a total of 12.3 million. That number seems really low to me personally. Um, a common attack pattern here involves phishing. So again, back to this thing, if the number two most common attack vector, statistically speaking, is still email compromise and phishing, please somebody justify to me why that's a multi-billion dollar in a year industry to train people not to fucking click things when that's what we do on the internet. That's our job. We can't, this is the biggest pot of just pissed away money that I can think of in the space. People are not technical controls. I cannot, I've been fished. I don't know why anyone would give a shit, but I have been fished. Luckily I had technology in front of me to keep me from getting pwned. I'm a security like tin foil hat wearing motherfucker. Like I, you can't rely on regular people not to get fished. I don't think that it should be a multi-billion dollar year industry to use PowerPoints and videos to train people not to get fished because it doesn't work. Here we are. Number two, it's 2022. I'll get off my soapbox now. Supply chain attacks, uh, emergence of the first major war in Europe for decades, 2022 saw a rise in attacks targeting national and international infrastructure. Supply chains continue to become more interconnected, complex, nah, 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 along with their potential to inflict disaster. Research suggests that up to 40% of cyber threats are now occurring directly through the supply chain. I mean, there you go. IoT attacks. Um, several vulnerabilities were identified, allowing attackers to potentially access valuable data and disrupt entire fleets of vehicles, that type of deal. Okay, so there you go. Uh, okay, uh, I want to read through this other paper um, that was published. Uh, this was actually published by 1Password. I don't know you know, what people's issues or agreements are there with them, but I, I thought that the research was actually interesting. I think they said 2,000 participants, which is a substantial number. Um, key findings, uh, unprecedented stress. Uh, one in three employees say they're most stressed as they've ever been in their lives. Okay, welcome to being a grown-up. Uh, distraction dilemma, four and five employees feel distracted on a typical working day, which is bad because that leads people to get compromised. Global distractions, 26% of people and half of workers in tech say that distraction for world events make it hard to care about their jobs. Uh, understandable. Um now, here's more of it, right? Falling for phishing. There's growing awareness that bad actors preying on human psychology can make companies vulnerable. Half of employees, 50%, say the biggest security threat their company faces is the prospect of employees falling for scams or phishing. Password overload. 40% are just remembering their passwords. 24% write them down. Uh, and about 29% use a password manager. 70% of workers use two-factor, multi-factor, 30% use biometrics, 29% use the password manager, and 24% use single sign-on. Uh, password hygiene is worse among senior executives. Half of workers at the level of director and above use personal identifiers in their password. Um, and there's other data in here that's interesting, too, when you crawl through it. it talks about the perfect storm and the distractions. I would go read this. It's... Uh, 2022 state of access report on one password. Um, guess who the worst generation is for um, kind of, you know, getting hit. It's actually Gen Z. Cause if you've got any Gen Z people in your life, they're pretty distracted all the time. And they've been built from birth to click on stuff. Like they're, they're so used to moving quickly and seeing what's there and clickety, click, 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 click. 
the Gen Zs just get ripped. Um, boomers, actually, statistically speaking, are the best at not getting fished, um, which is good for boomers. There's a couple of other things in here about the, I guess you'd call it the lack of, of care. 76% uh, of workers are aware their individual security actions have an impact on their company's overall security. Okay, cool. 82% of workers would care if they cause a security breach. I would think that number should be higher because, I mean, it's your job. You know, you might lose your job because of a breach. Um, and then if you follow down into that, you can actually get the data on where uh, things start to slip. So one in three employees reuse passwords despite, that's a creed word, despite knowing the risk. I'll admit openly, I reuse some passwords, but they're passwords for things that I don't care about. Like they're passwords that if somebody's got them and they want to reuse them on a couple of whatever, because it's going to happen, good, great for you. The passwords that are really important to me are stored in the only operating system that I trust, which is my mis you know, misshapen head in my brain. Um, I don't write them down. It's stuff that's in there. And I always have MFA set up in biometrics and whatever else. Uh, buh, buh, buh. yeah. Um, one more thing here that's so and unclear consequences. And this is again, another ping, I guess you would say on the training side of this equation. So unclear consequences, 40% of workers say bad security habits aren't punished at all, or they don't know what the consequences are. So almost half of the workforce say bad security habits are not punished. Now they have to beat them with a rubber hose, but they should be you know, held to some standard or they don't know what the consequences are. What good is a training or education if people don't know the value of what's going to happen if they go outside the bounds of that particular thing? 70% of workers don't know of anyone who has been reprimanded for improper use of a company computer device. 70%, three out of four roughly, don't know of anyone in their company that's done something that's overt with malicious intent or misuse of their particular uh, software or computer or whatever, and nothing happened to them. 15% um, of workers are concerned about the possibility of being recommended for poor security habits, while nearly half say they aren't worried about all. So again, um, I don't think that the data in this space, and if you believe in the, the, you know, the honesty of um, data and, you know, those types of things, I don't think that there's any validity to the argument of trying to train your way out of this. Should you train people? Yes. Should you educate people? A billion percent. Is that a technical control? It is not. Should you rely on that to keep you from getting pwned? No. People literally say they're not concerned about it and they don't know people who are being reprimanded. Uh, if I don't do um, the things for clients and customers that they need or they require of me in a particular contract, they'll fire me and get rid of the contract. Like that's a punishment. I know that that would happen. So I don't do those things. If we're doing that and we're in cyberspace and we're not putting a, a, some sort of stick there, why would they care? Who gives a shit? It's not going to fix anything. You know, I would read this, this report. It's, it's pretty solid with the data that's there, regardless of if anyone has their issues, one password or whatever else. This is actually pretty good data, and I'm going to plan on using this in some of my speeches. So I'm telling you one password, I'm going to steal some of your stuff. Um, if you haven't used chat GPT, I think that there's a, a use case here that in the security space that we should consider. Go use chat GPT and 
run a couple of queries and see what the bot is able to come back and tell you about a topic. Like I've been running some, uh, you know, is zero trust an achievable goal? And I want to see what the internet, the bot, the, the software comes back and says, and it's pretty dang good. Um, does it mean that you should base your stuff off of what this bot says? No. But the point I'm trying to make is if you're looking for a way to run some pretty solid research, get some fast responses and uh, use these um, sort of queries for validating a position, it's pretty solid. Uh, I would say that this is pretty valuable. And so if you haven't used ChatGPT, go use it. Uh, I'm I'm trying not to be one of those people that goes off and throws a bunch of chat GPT things on LinkedIn, although it would be fun to run some of those queries and point them at different things. Okay. Now I did say that I was going to um, point out the biggest uh, example of mis, uh, disinformation, misinformation I could find in recent years. Um, and here we go. But here is really what's, uh, what's interesting is People say that, you know, the TikTok is not a risk. It's not a threat, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, people will say social media is just whatever. If you're not aware of this dude, um, he's called, he calls himself the liver king. And you haven't seen any of the stuff that's gone on around that. Um, it's, in my opinion, one of the most egregious examples of someone seeing the value that can be built from leveraging social media and TikTok and those things and overtly running a scam and then gaining following money, presence, all that stuff uh, right off the bat. Now, if you're not familiar with the Liver King, Google it right now. Go look it up. Um, it's not this is not a personal thing. I don't I could give a shit about Brian Johnson and, and his own family stuff, and whatever else. He seems like a great father and a great dad. So good for him. But when you run uh, a thing about being primal and you overtly tell people that you've never done steroids and you build a following on TikTok and you build a following. And I think if I look at Instagram right now of 1.7 million followers, and then you go off and tell folks like, look, I am hundred percent natural. I've never taken anything, whatever else. And it comes out that you actually are on a whole bunch of junk. Like I think his stack was revealed in an email to uh, other folks. And this is all public knowledge. You know, IGF one been taking that for a year. CJC uh, year. Uh, I I Tamarin two months. Omnitrope, which is a growth hormone. Test Deca Winstrol. Like that's a stack that um, bodybuilders, <laughs> like pro body, like people that are uh, in the Mister Olympia and Mister Universe, don't take some of that stuff. And this guy is run to market. And if you follow down the, the line here, I did a little bit more research. This guy came out of kind of nowhere. He's 45 years old. Um, if you look at the pictures of him, no one would be uh, looking at that guy and be like, okay, he's not on juice. However, he ran his whole marketing campaign through TikTok, through social media, through Facebook, through podcast, uh, including some of those uh, whatever the, the popular ones are that have got the, the dude that boxes now or whatever the hell his name is, uh, Logan or something, Paul. Anyway, um, that that were advertising for him. And he was able to build this following and build whatever. And it was on the news and et cetera, et cetera. So the, the, the problem here is that if this guy can do this by himself via those mediums and via these approaches 
and trick, I think at one time it was up to like 7 million folks in total into believing the absolute falsehood that this dude is natural. Um, what could you do if you put those same approaches to towards other intentions? I mean, uh, seriously, think about it. Like the, the fact that you can trick millions of people into believing something that if you've got fucking eyeballs in your head, you can look at this and go, there's no way, especially not at 44 years old. I'm 43. Um, I work out five, six days a week. It ain't happening, right? Um, to look like this dude, I don't care how much testicles and liver you eat. You're not going to look like this guy unless you're on something uh, and and grow that that to to a market capability. And I think if I remember right, I read that his supplement system took in a hundred million dollars uh, in one year. Like that's that's staggering. So the the problem is if that's an extremely egregious example of flat out lies and falsehoods that are propagated through a targeted marketing campaign using social writing adwords all the things that we hear about and bouncing it off of tiktok which is we know this is a nation state level capability what else can happen from here and i'm i'm not trying to be a conspiracy theorist and whatever else i'm just saying that this is a real issue that people should be aware of and that if you if you're in the space where you care about cybersecurity and truth then this is something that people should talk about um you know, if, if, if you if you're going to run a marketing campaign, be real about it. And that's cool. Like, do your thing. If if this dude had come out and said, like, look, I take some stuff. I'm 44 years old. Um, I am under the care of a medical physician and they prescribe me these medications. And oh, by the way, I do work out 12 to 14 times a week and I eat a lot of testicles and liver and whatever else. And I happen to look super jacked. Great. Oh, and by the way, I take all my supplements. So buy my shit and it still makes you 100 million dollars. Great, super for you. But this type of thing has other implications and I think is so uh, indicative of the problem that is in the space. And there are cybersecurity, national security type of implications if you really run your mind across what this this actually means. So again, um, this is not voting, this is not whatever, but this if you can do this for something as simple as tricking six or seven million people into believing that this is a real thing when it's a flat fucking lie. Uh, what could you do if you did, if you targeted these types of operations along other avenues? I mean, we, we're sitting in a space where we have, and I, like the data said earlier, millennials who are the people who, you know, follow these types of things. I don't even have an Instagram account. I don't, I don't have TikTok, but they follow these types of things and they buy it. They're going to be the folks that are going to be running this country and businesses and everything else in the very near future. If they're not made aware of this now and the types of manipulation that can occur, especially at scale, what does that mean for the future writ large? Like that, that concerns the hell out of me. So anyway, like I'll pull off my tinfoil hat. And again, I don't know this, this person from Adam. I, I just followed down the research. And funny enough, when you read through it, he actually has a degree uh, from from college. He was going to med school um, for uh, biopharmaceuticals. Now, what type of you know biopharmaceutical education would you need to build this type of physique? 
it's pretty clear that if you, you know, you know, biopharmaceuticals, you could figure out exactly what to take to make you look like this. Um, and yes, I like people are, are, are dumb um, in general, uh, I think, but well, maybe they're not dumb, but they're easily manipulated. I think, especially when you're talking about desires, because everybody would like to look, all the men I know would like to look like this guy, his physique or whatever else, but it, it, it's too easy to turn the knob and just get people to act on falsehoods, especially when you combine scale and social media and the constant push, 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 LinkedIn, Twitter, da, 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 like it just becomes a thing. Um, and it concerns me. It does. It concerns me at a national level. It concerns me at a global level. It concerns me as a parent. Um, I think that this is uh, problematic. Anyway, um, Hopefully you have a great holiday season, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, all that stuff. God bless you. God bless your families. Um, I pray that you have a great new year. Um, I'm probably trying to be back before new year. I don't know, but uh, maybe there's some cool stuff coming in 2023 from the, uh, the Dr. Zero trust camp. I, I can't say what yet, but there's some stuff coming. Um, think about it. Be aware, pay attention. You could be interested, could help you out. Anyway, God bless. As always, stay smart, stay safe, stay secure. I'll catch you in the next one. And welcome to 2023 if I don't talk to you before then. Disclaimer, the information in this podcast episode, aka episode, is provided for general information purposes only. By listening to this episode, you understand that this is not specific technical guidance from the host. No information contained in this episode should be construed as security advice from the author, host, or guest, nor is it intended to be a substitute for security advice on any particular subject matter. No listener of this episode should act or refrain from acting on the basis of any information included in or accessible through this episode without seeking the appropriate technical or other professional advice on the particular facts and circumstances that are discussed. This podcast is for informational purposes only, all views expressed therein are those of the host and his guest and should not be considered as being endorsed by nor related to the host or the guest's employers.